Amen. Well, good morning. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that you are always on time and you're never late, never too early, but you know just when to give us what we need, and we thank you for that. What a wonderful God you are that uh, takes such wonderful care of us and is so wise in every way. And we just pray now as we look in your word, you'll bless it to us, and um, Lord, that we will leave here just all the more motivated and desiring to want to worship and praise you, as you rightly deserve, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, turn your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 34. Actually, we're going to look at 10 verses in Psalm 34. And uh, we were, uh, my wife and I and our family were on vacation as well the last couple of weeks. We were up in Tahoe, where I guess some of the folks are today. And... Um, it's interesting how when you camp and you're in a tent that about halfway through it gets more and more difficult to climb out of the tent when you're the ages we are, but we made it just as long as you pump those air mattresses every day and get them refilled so that you're not on a waterbed, but something that's a little bit more firm. But hiking up in the Sierra as we were doing in, uh, up around Emerald Bay um, over the last we, when we did it for a few days, I, we were up at Eagle Falls. I don't know if anyone's ever been there before. It's not too far right from uh, Viking Home, that place you can travel down for about a, and see that mansion that's right there on the water at Emerald Bay. But we then went to the falls. And if you've been anywhere around water this summer in the mountains, you know that the, the flows are absolutely overflowing. Uh, there's no s- such thing as a trickle this season. And even just last week, here we are in August, there was quite amazing to see the snow on the mountains. It's summer, and we have waterfalls that are just something like you would expect back in May. And it made me think about these verses in Psalm 34, and then we'll be looking at one verse in Psalm 119, that in our lives, we don't want um, praise for God to be a trickle. We want it to be like the falls I saw that were just absolutely overflowing. And as we look at the psalm, and this is just one psalm uh, from David, but as you read the psalms, you realize that this is a predominant theme of praising God. And so I've really just simply titled our few moments we've got together today as Overflowing with Praise. And I'm actually taking that from Psalm 119, which we'll read in a second. But Psalm 34, 1 to 10, David said, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him lack nothing. And then verse 10, the lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. 
And then Psalm 119, verse 171. May my lips overflow with praise. And that really should be the desire of our hearts here this morning. Psalm 34, uh, believed to have been written by David. And it's interesting because in the context of this psalm, it's believed that you have to go back to the history of what was occurring in Psalm uh, 1 Samuel chapter 21. And if you remember a little bit about David's history, he was being pursued by Saul. This was just an ongoing problem. Just imagine if you were physically today always in fear of a person that was after you. You know, you'd go out the doors here in another 20 minutes or so, and you wonder, is that, is that person there? You know, is his host of army there? And it's hard for us maybe to relate to that kind of stalking, that kind of danger. But that's what David was experiencing from this jealous uh, King Saul. And so it's interesting in this context what's going on is because David has this interesting encounter where he seeks refuge with this Philistine king. And his name is Abimelech. He's the king of Gath. And David, fearing that he might be killed, the, the interesting thing is you read the story in 1 Samuel uh, 21, is he pretends to be crazy. And it says in the passage that he's making marks on the doors and on the gates, and he's letting saliva drool down and over his beard. Um, it's kind of an interesting moment in David's life uh, of maybe not the most heroic, if you like, and probably a very humbling moment. But the interesting thing was, is this trick, if you like, it worked. And the king said, I don't need any more madmen, you know, to be concerned about. And so he didn't harm David. And then David escapes and he goes on. And so the pursuit continues with that story. But David, in writing Psalm 34, viewed that deliverance as a victory that God ultimately was responsible for in giving him. And so he wrote this to celebrate. And so what we're going to look at as we look at these 10 verses is we're going to just see this thing of in the context of David and in our own lives, how do we overflow with praise so that if right now, truth be told, you would say, well, you know what? It's one thing here on Sunday, but during the rest of the week, it's kind of a trickle. Uh, the, you know, the, they were looking at if my life was Yosemite Falls right now or any of the falls in the Sierras, it wouldn't really be that overflowing that you're describing. It's actually more of like a trickle. But how can that change? And I believe as we just look at God and his word, it can. And so really, very simply, is as you look at Psalm 34, notice at verse 34, verse 1, how should we praise? And it says, and we're going to start just with the first letter in verse 1, I. I will praise. And so the thought there is, is that we should make sure that we don't just rely on the corporate experience of worship, but we need to learn individually how to praise God. Coming together as the body of Christ is a collective experience, but that is not enough. There needs to be Monday through Saturday where you can say and I can say that I am meeting with God and I will extol the Lord at all times. There's a lot of things that we can do for each other, but nobody can praise God for you. That's something that I need to do. God calls me to do and commands me to do. And likewise, you, if you know him. And if you think about this, this is really a wonderful thing because God is saying, you know what? 
I like to hear the collective voice of my people all where they're gathered throughout the world. But at the same time, he's saying there's something special that when I hear you, when I hear individually you praising God in your quiet place, wherever that is, whether it's in the car or you have a place on your couch or you have another place in your home where you just worship God, whether it's walking in the Sierras or wherever else, God is saying, I am so interested to hear you speak until you worship me and you praise me. And that's not just speaking, but also that singing. And some of you would say, well, I don't really want others to really hear how I sing in a collective environment. But guess what? You can sing privately alone with God, and he makes it a wonderful, sweet, sweet sound in his ear as it goes up into heaven. But the idea is, is that we can't get lazy in thinking, well, just because I'm here this morning, just because I was at the Lord's Supper this morning, or just because I'm at other meetings that where God's people are, I'm worshiping, when in fact, you could be physically present, but you actually may not be engaged in that act, or individually as well. I like, as, as a father of four daughters, I like to hear, personally, all four of them express their love and praise. Well, praise is not as often as in a different sense, you know what I mean, but love for me as a father. It doesn't, I just don't want to say, well, they... But it's nice when they do individually. Rebecca, our oldest, she expresses her love and shows her affection for us and that she's one of the ones who calls us most days. Um, more than I would even call her. She calls just because she likes to call. And so may not have a lot to say, but she just wants to let us know she's thinking of us or whatever. And she just lives in Castro Valley. And a lot of times I don't have a lot to say back, but I appreciate the fact she's called. Our, other, our second oldest daughter uh, doesn't really call as often. But she expresses her love for us in the sense that she's probably the most, I would say, respectful or obedient of the four we had growing up. She rarely says anything that's defiant. Um, she tended to, when she was growing up, do something defiant with her foot where she would kind of dig her foot in when we would tell her not to do something. And I would just watch this foot like just <laughs> borrowing a hole into the ground. But she wouldn't say it. And so now she's 25 and she really never says something or rarely says something that I would say, man, that really wasn't very respectful. Our third daughter loves to give hugs and ask lots of questions about our lives. Um, she's the one who's very inquisitive, and she's showing her love and interest in us by the way she communicates. And then our fourth and youngest is always, I've called her a Klingon. She just likes to be holding one of us. And with me, what she tends to do, and I don't really appreciate it, but she will grab the extra skin on my elbow. <laughs> And it seems like it's getting more there with time. And she just holds on and pinches it. And that's her expression of her love. And so you get the idea that it's not just the fact that four of them are collectively. It's the fact that each individually expresses in their own unique way their heart and their love for me as their dad. And I would encourage us this morning just to think that God is just saying, I am just so excited to hear from, from you, from you, from you. And, and, I, and he wants to. And it touches his heart. And he's not just this God that, as difficult as it is because we can't see him, that he's somehow so removed, he, he wants to hear the praises from his people. And so I emphasize this point that how we should praise is individually. And so then that raises this question again, just to kind of, kind of check ourselves here in this, the, the dog days of summer in August, is am I, am I doing that? 
with the right motivation. Am, am I doing that? And again, not in a way that I'm out to leave you on a guilt trip or you leave me on one. But if you were to kind of just record in the average week how much time we spend just praising God and being occupied with him, how much time would it be? Now, quality is the key. Maybe sometimes in some things more than quantity. But we could kind of make ourselves get a little bit, excuse ourselves a little bit too easy on that one if we say, well, that 10 minutes this week was about it. And I would suggest that God is just saying, I just want to hear, I just want to hear it. I want to hear your affection. I want to hear what's on your heart. And he commands us over and over again to do this. So think about this week. You know, where is those moments, and sometimes that's what it is, where we could say, you know what, that is not a priority right now what I'm doing. I, in the right sense of I, can right now spend some time with you, Lord, and I'm going to let that other thing go, whatever it is. And then this psalmist says, and the second thing is how we should praise. It's not just individually, one-on-one time with God, but also, and it's at the second part of verse 1, verbally. It says, his praise will always be on my lips. And I think that is a, not just figurative, I think that's very literal. He's saying, speak praises to God. Because I don't know about you, but if you're just limiting this praise time to God in your heart, I don't know if you're ADD like I slightly think I am, but my mind is wandering a lot. And I know even in the course of the next 25 minutes when I'm speaking, your mind is wandering while I'm speaking. And when I've been in your shoes and somebody's up, I'm wandering. It's just kind of our unfortunate attention span of what we do and how we are. And maybe it's in this culture with so many things happening. But we need to remember this. The psalmist says he, his praise will always be on my lips. And so it's a lot easier, don't you find, to talk to God than it is just to be thinking in your heart. Because at least when you're talking, if you're starting to say silly things and you're totally getting distracted, you don't even know what you're saying now. Well, you're catching yourself because you're speaking. Whereas when you're listening to someone and it's just this kind of dialogue where you're just just listening and they're talking to you, you could be completely going all over the place, traveling who knows where, all over the world. But when you're engaged in conversation and acknowledging, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, that's active listening. And so it's a key thing that we praise him with our our lips. And when he says I, his praise will always be on my, on my lips, you know, that's not an exaggeration to where we would say, well, you know, that's kind of overdoing it. His praise should always be on our lips. Because when you think about it, I don't know what's going on in your life exactly today. I don't know what storms you've had since I last spoke on the subject. Um, but think about it today that if you're here and you know Christ, then you are you're wonderfully saved. And if it just stopped there, if it just stopped there, and that's all God did for you was just save you and just promise you an eternity with him, that enough would be enough to keep on praising him. Amen. And yet, that's not just the whole story. He continues to shower us and show his goodness to us and his kindness and all his loving acts. And so when the psalmist says this, 
It's not an overstatement of it. It can hardly be enough. And we're not always praising God with our lips. And so all the more that we need to take that time to make sure that we, we do that. Hebrews 13.5 Hebrews 13, says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And I acknowledge the fact, and God knows this, that when we praise him and when we're saying, you know what, I'm not occupied with myself right now. And I'm not going to be occupied on what those struggles are right now, but I'm going to be just simply occupied on you right now, Lord. And I'm going to not be asking you particularly for anything at this point. I'm just going to be praising you for your person and for who you are, that that very well might be, for some of us, a sacrifice. It's, it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost maybe getting up 10 minutes early. It's going to maybe cost, God forbid, that we can't see something on television that we were planning to, although that's what DVRs can be for another time if it's healthy, if you have one. But it's going to cost something, maybe a little more, less sleep, maybe something else that you wanted to do and you really think you should do, and yet you say, you know what, the sacrifice of praise is I'm going to offer this up to you. And the Lord knows that, and he takes notice. And, you know, when he talks about praising him, he loves it. You see this over and over in Scripture because the psalmist tells us he loves it when we're specific of why we're praising him. And if you're married this morning or you've been in any kind of a relationship where you know it, it's in that context of love, you, and I find this is true more for the ladies than maybe for the men, but I wouldn't want to totally stereotype that. But my wife loves to hear specifically what it is I love about her. I am uh, hitting the jackpot, if you like, or gold, striking gold, when I not only say, hey, by the way, I don't know if I've told you that I love you today, but it's a bonus when I actually say, and she might still, after 31 years, sometimes say, what is it you you love um, about me, that I have something ready to say to that. You know, it's a bit of a problem if you just go, um, just do. You know, well, that may be true, but you ladies know, and I'm seeing the acknowledgement here that you appreciate when that person says, I love this. I love how you do that. I, you know, I love your cooking. I love that meal. I love, you know, your outfit, whatever it is, that is incredibly important. And I think we need to remember with God when we say, I praise you, Lord, that's good. But let's not just show our ignorance sometimes if, if somebody said, well, what do you praise him for? What, do you, what is it about him and his character and in his person that you just love? That you'd actually be able to say, I praise him for his justice. I praise him for his goodness. I praise him for his mercy, for how he's been kind to me today, for his grace, you know, for his everlasting love, for the fact that he forgives sin, that he's a God who's all wise. And like Jenny's saying, he knows exactly the right time that he brings the things into our lives and how he ordains things. I love this about you, Lord. I love this about you. I love this about you. And then the psalmist says as well, we should praise God not every other Sunday, not every other month, but he says it and you hear it here, you get it in a sense. It's continuous. This is habit forming in the right sense. Whatever it is that you do regularly, I was telling a brother this morning, I love, and it's kind of part of my, my routine, exercise is kind of how I need to keep going. It helps me with my days where I sleep three and four hours, and it helps me just keep going, is exercise. And some of you have other disciplines that are good, and that's what you do. But praise for God should be continuous. 
Because if it's kind of like what I did with our daughter's car that hadn't been driven in a while, I hadn't used it in a while, and I tried turning it on the other day, and guess what? The battery was dead. It wouldn't start. It hadn't been used. That battery hadn't been fired up enough. It was an extra car that we had. You try praising God just kind of, you know, uh, every now and then. I am, I'm going to tell you, it's like when you try and exercise every now and then. You know how hard it is. Really tough. I played baseball, uh, softball last Tuesday, and even though exercising, I hadn't run on that way you run as soon as you go from home plate. And I'll tell you, next, the next day, or it was actually the day after, I could hardly walk. You know, it's because it's a totally different exercise that your muscles you're using when you're right up here. And in our praise muscles, if you like, if you try and say, well, I'll just, I'm going to have this quality time of praise with God tomorrow. And then just because whatever priorities are kind of helter kilter off and it's about another month, you say, that was the last time I really spent half an hour with you, God praising you. And was it easy? I'll bet it wasn't. I bet it was difficult. Well, you say, you know what, I'm going to wait until things are just right in my life and then I'll praise God. Well, guess what? You're going to be waiting a long time. You're going to be waiting a long time. In Psalm 34:19, look at what he said here, just in the context. He says, a righteous man may have many troubles. There's many troubles going on. Matter of fact, when David penned this, he was still being pursued by Saul. That problem hadn't gone away. But he didn't say, well, you know what, I'll write this when, when it's all over. No, he wrote it during it, which makes it all the more amazing, doesn't it? Because we sometimes think, well, God, I'm going to, I'll give you all the glory after. And God is saying, give me the glory during while you're in it. And you know what? Exciting thing is here. Your life and my life will be utterly transformed if this becomes this good habit in our lives. That song that I often sing uh, blessed be the name of the Lord. And I love that line because he says, if you know that, that chorus, he says he gives and takes away. But then he goes on to say, the, this, the author, he goes, my heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. So whether it's the giving or it's the taking away, your heart chooses to say, and so does mine, blessed be your name. It's not dependent on whether it's just when it's what we want, but it's also when it's in those disappointments. And I admit that is tough, but that is a spiritual discipline that God is saying, by my spirit, I want you to cultivate in your life. You could argue and somebody could say, you know, it's a it's a weak faith. It's kind of a easy faith to say, I'm just going to praise God after the battle is won. And God is saying, and if you look at the Old Testament examples of this, that God often, and we're going to see an example of this, wins the battle with praise during it. That's how the battle is won. It's not just after. Oh, I confess and I admit it's easy on the mountaintop. But definitely is, it's been said, it takes faith in the valley. And so we should praise God continually. And then secondly, why should we praise God? And I, I trust I've already sort of answered that question. And I trust you could answer that right now. You're not, there's not going to be long pauses of, okay, folks, why should we praise God? And we're just, uh, you know, I trust we know why we should praise God. And the first one is he deserves it. He just deserves it. He is deserving of it. Verse 2. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. 
And you think about it, he just deserves it because not only of his character, which is absolutely perfect, but also because of his, uh, the very acts he does as a result of his character. His character and his deeds, his person and his work is perfect. I love this little verse in, in uh, Exodus 33. It's, it's really this cool passage that kind of explains this in a nutshell. When Moses was talking to God, and, and the Lord and him have this conversation in Exodus 33:19, And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. That's a very interesting phrase. I will cause all my goodness. What's he talking about? To pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. And I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have Compassion. And then notice, if you're there, Exodus 34, verses 5 to 7, it says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger. Here's a reason to praise. This is his goodness, if you like, wrapped up in these very specific acts. If you said, how is God good? Here we're hearing it. He's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. You can understand why the psalmist said in verse 34 or chapter 34, verse 2. My soul will boast in the Lord. That's the stuff we want to boast in about God. And I don't know about you, but maybe it was a quality of your life before you knew him. And maybe if you're honest, it's still a struggle that you have. But usually to be on the receiving end of somebody that's boasting is usually kind of nauseating after time. If you're around somebody that continually is just saying, I did this and I did that. And basically it would, they would come over as though pretty much... The West was one, if you like, because of their input in whatever way, shape, or form it could be. You know, all problems at work were solved because of me. You know, the families held together because of me. And I did this and, and I did that. The interesting thing for a number of us is some people will say that one of the um, identifying marks that they have come over and passed over from death into life and being an unbeliever to a believer is, is that boasting that prideful kind of way of wanting to list all your accomplishments has been now transferred in wanting to boast in God. And you're really not desirous now of wanting to bring your name up and, to bring and praise yourself, but you're really now uh, have a change of heart about wanting to boast in the Lord. And how refreshing that is because the psalmist says, let the afflicted hear and rejoice. You bring glory, a praise to others, and others are encouraged when you're talking and you're boasting about God to each other. When you're saying, you know what God just did in my life? You know what God, how great God is because he did this? You know, I was reading this passage about God today, and he is just this awesome. Other people who are listening to that, believers in this context, are encouraged Whereas if you're in the company of a person who's boasting about themselves, you often leave and you just are like drained 
And it actually causes you to be sometimes just nauseated because it gets like, how can I get out of this conversation with somebody who's like this? And so when God blesses you, and God is blessing you and I every day, look for opportunities. Look for opportunities to how God can get the credit this week. How can you tell someone at your job, at your place, uh, wherever you are, at school, work, or even in your home, when something happens this week, I challenge you, boast in the Lord this week. I'm giving you permission to boast in the Lord. And to tell somebody else, I want to give God credit this week for something that he did in my life. What often happens, and this is an interesting thing, and I, and I, I struggle with this, and I wonder why. But even among our, the God's people, wherever we are, I find and it's, and it's good and it's right and it's healthy that we talk about all the things that we talk about, whether it's vacations, whether it's talk about our work, how things are going, you know, about San Francisco Giants, about, you know, whatever it is we want to talk about. There are a lot of good things we can talk about. But there's something not quite right. When we're together, and I'm not even talking about Sunday, but when we're talking about outside that, but we're with one another, that sometimes it seems like talking about God and boasting about the Lord and praising him with each other in a very natural way, just like you're talking about the other stuff, that should be coming right to the surface in our hearts, out of our mouths. I was with a group of dear folk over the last few weeks. We had a lot of time together. But you know what? One part was just the one part that was just a little sad was even though we were all children of God, we hardly spoke about God. We didn't talk a lot about the Lord. It wasn't that the conversation was offensive in the sense that there was there was a huge contrast than if it had been with a group of people who didn't know Christ. But what was missing was as we just weren't naturally, supernaturally talking about God. And I felt like if we had tried, it was going to be trying to fire up an engine of a car that hasn't been maybe used for a while. So think about that. He deserves it, that we boast about him. And secondly, the good thing about praising God is our faith is strengthened. Notice verse 3. Glorify the Lord with, the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Other translations say, magnify the Lord with me. And you know what it means to magnify. When you have a magnifying glass, you, you make something and you bring it into focus and it, and it comes right up to you. I find at work, before I got stronger glasses, I was using a magnifying glass on top of my glasses to be able to read things and maps and stuff like that. Made it bigger in focus. And the psalmist says, I want you to magnify God. I want you to make him big in your life. To this kind of extent, and we've talked about this before and you've heard this many times, is that look how small this problem is compared to God. Or is it kind of the other way around? Is it, man, this is a huge problem. And the, constant, the thought in our mind is, you know what? It's, it's, it's such a huge problem but I, I kind of see God this way. He's so small. He's so small in this situation, he can't do anything. Or is the other way around that immediately when this happens, we just immediately say, you know what? The problem's real. I'm not dismissing the, how significant this problem is, but in the context and the big picture of things, it's small in comparison to how big God is. 
That's the kind of faith the psalmist tells us to have. I don't know if you remember the story of the Israelites. They sent out the 12 spies to the promised land. And they were to check out the enemy before they went in and occupied it. And what was their strategy going to be to defeat some of the enemies that were still in the promised land after the, while they were in the wilderness? And you remember the story, don't you? Ten of the spies came back. And basically their report was, man, the enemies are giants. Kingdoms were well too fortified. We're not going to be able to defeat these folks. Where Joshua and Caleb had a totally different take on it. And the interesting thing was, you think about that, and you say, okay, well, maybe that would have been natural for them to say that. Maybe you give them some slack. That's how they saw it. But you have to remember the context of what had happened prior to that. God had sent ten powerful plagues on the Egyptians and Pharaoh. And then the final parting act was the parting of the Red Sea. And when God saw that negative attitude... And that lack of faith about occupying the land, he, he was less than pleased, to put it mildly. And he basically said, you know what? If you're over 20 years old, you're not going in. Moses didn't get to go into the promised land, into Canaan. Lack of faith was very, very challenging to him. And it would be a case to say that God was very disappointed with his people in that context. You find, and I think you'll see this, don't you, that when you speak... It's really uh, very convicting and humbling. But when you speak, you really, you really indicate to each other your faith. I, it's very hard to kind of measure your faith. I mean, in the sense of your, who your faith is in, the sense of it's in the Lord. But how strong is that faith in that object? And I think, don't you find that the way that really comes out is how you speak? Because if you say, you know what, God is going to do this in my life and, I, and I'm trusting him for this. And I believe he's big enough for this because he's powerful and he's able to do this and da-da-da-da. Then you, other people are looking and they're saying, man, that's a mustard seed, but it's growing. Whereas if we come in, we just are basically like, you know, it's too big for God. You know, this is a miserable situation. I think it's only going to get worse. Um, I don't see any hope. You know, we, whether we think it or we're saying it, we're kind of indicating our faith. So how you speak is an indication. And then another thing as we're wrapping up here, another thing that's advantage and why we should have overflowing praise is our fear really will be kept in check as we're praising God. Don't you find that? Verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Ann Landers once said that out of all of the advice that she used to give in her column, and that was when people really read newspapers before the Internet, of all the advice she gave, um, it was on how to face your fears. I trust that everyone in the room this morning has a fear. Either a fear that you're presently asking God to deliver you from, or it's a fear that he has delivered you from. But you can identify, if you're a human being this morning, with fear. There's stuff, so much stuff written on this. There's fearless living, fear of dreaming, fear itself, books, fear of humiliation, fear and courage, fear of falling, fear of crying, fear of life, fear of flying. You can go on and on and on of what people are afraid about. 
And the psalmist says here, he says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. And again, remember the main fear he must have been dealing with here, being pursued by a guy that wanted to kill him. That's real stuff. Another thing, verse 6 and 7. Your enemies will be beaten. The poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, who respect him, who honor him, and he delivers them. Second Chronicles just very quickly, chapter 20 is probably one of the best passages that I, I just love on this issue of praising God in the midst of battle when you're in those issues where you're afraid. In Second uh, Chronicles 20, there's this awesome king named Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he's gotten word that there's these armies that are coming to make war on him in chapter 20, verse 1. And basically the report is very alarming, to say the least. A vast army is coming. And you know what? They're nearby. And it says, it says in chapter uh, 20, verse 3, it says, Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast. And then it goes on to say in verse 5, Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said this, and this is just this most amazing praise declaration that we would do well if you like to memorize. Memorize this. I used to remember a couple of these verses. I wonder if I still do. I'll have to quote it out of the New American Standard when I get home. Oh, Lord, God, our, our God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Oh, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built it in a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes up upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and you will save us. And then you go to chapter 20, same chapter, verse 21. And you see what happens in this whole drama of of these armies. And after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing. What a a strategy. We wouldn't think of it in a million years. Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. And as they begin to sing and praise, the Lord sent ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. Interesting, the men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them, annihilate them, and they finished slaughtering the men from Seir. They helped to destroy one another. Well, that's absolutely wonderfully bizarre of what happened there. These three enemies turned on themselves and were attacking themselves, and the battle was over. But notice that it wasn't more weapons. It was praise. We need to learn to take out the wine and cheese, moaning and groaning, and just replace it with praise. And then what happens to the enemy? They're listening to us, and they're saying, oh, this is confusing. I'm trying to bring something on that's going to cause them to curse God 
or to be afraid or to feel defeated or discouraged. And guess what? They're actually praising them. And, and they get screwed up and confused by that like these enemies did. And then lastly, another reason to praise is because your future is absolutely certain and incredibly great. I don't know about you. I haven't really thought about it too much just as well this week. When you, look at, when you think about the market, you think about the economy, you think about what's going on, there are people probably that are drugging themselves over the last 10 days or two weeks. Being up in Tahoe for eight of that helps, where you don't have to listen to anything. But there are people who are absolutely besides themselves, and I can understand why some folks might be very concerned. And they're wondering, what is the future? What in the world is the future of this country economically? All these dire forecasts of what we're in and where we're headed. Maybe they're right. Maybe they're wrong. But for you and I as his children today, the future is absolutely certain and is incredibly great. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Verse 9, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. Matter of fact, the psalmist says in verse 10, he goes, you know, the lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. It's interesting, as I can almost picture it, as David is singing this song, he hears lions that are looking. He's watching lions that are looking for prey. Here they are, the king of the beasts. And they're hungry. They're looking for food. But he's saying, guess what? We who seek the Lord shall not want. And he quotes then, if you're familiar with the Lord's uh, uh, Psalm 23. And he says, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And so this is the incredible thing of, as his people that he has given us so much in his goodness and in his kindness and everything that he provides for us that we can say here today, I shall not want. There's nothing more that he needs to give that I don't have that he's already promised to supply for me. I trust, brothers and sisters, as we're walking this, this trail, um, this hike that we were doing quite a bit of over the last couple of weeks, this trail of, of praise, there's going to be those parts in the trail like we were on where at times the descent is steep. Sometimes the inclines were great. Sometimes it was like I can't go any further on this particular hike we were on, and yet God gave the grace to keep going. That as we're on this trail of, of praise in our lives, circumstances are going to change. Things are going to happen. There's going to be unexpected turns around the corner in our lives. But guess what? While we're on that, God is saying, you know what? I may change the circumstances on that trail you're on, but at the same time, I may not. But guess what? Then you change. You get stronger as you learn to praise me during these times. Lastly, you know, does God need our praise? I've sometimes thought about this when I was a younger Christian. You know, is it like he's got some kind of, um, some people would say, you know, he's, is he an egotist? Is he, is he unsure? Has he got a lack of confidence that he needs to hear, you know, praise from his people? Like sometimes people, human beings say, I, I need feedback. I need to be stroked. I need to hear praise. And it's not that at all. He's deserving of it because he's God. But also he says, it's for your good. When you praise me, you get your eyes off whatever it is you're getting them on, that problem or yourself, and you get them on me, who's able to help you. Isn't that wise of our Lord? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that you are such an incredibly good God.
Uh, we could spend the rest of this day, and I trust, Lord, we could keep going on into the late hours just to talk about your goodness. And, Lord, as Philip found Nathaniel in John chapter 1, and he said, come and see. We have found the Messiah. Father, I pray that this week we will come and see and we will taste and see that you are good. And that as a result of that, Lord, you will receive awesome and wonderful praise from us, your people. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.